The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 7th of November here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, on the ground in Gaza, we have a special report on civilian life in the Palestinian territory one month into the war. And in other news, UBS posts its first loss since 2017 as the lender grapples with the integration of Credit Suisse. And WeWork, the one-time darling of the startup scene, has filed for bankruptcy. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. UBS has reported its first quarterly loss since 2017 as pre-tax profits from its wealth, asset management and investment banking divisions came in lower than expected. The Swiss banking giant saw a net loss of $785 million for the third quarter, but total revenues came in higher than forecast at $11.7 billion. UBS says that it is continuing to integrate Credit Suisse into its business, reducing its overall headcount count by 4,000 over the quarter. The US President Joe Biden has discussed the possibility of tactical pauses in fighting during a call with Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. That conversation came as Gaza's Hamas-run health ministry says that more than 10,000 people have been killed in the Palestinian territory. The US administration has stepped up calls for temporary halts in fighting to allow aid in and hostages and other civilians out. In an exclusive interview with ABC News, Netanyahu opened the door to that possibility. Well, there will be no uh, ceasefire, general ceasefire in Gaza without the release of our hostages. As far as tactical little pauses, an hour here, an hour there, we've had them before. I suppose uh, we'll check the circumstances in order to enable uh, goods, humanitarian goods to come in or our hostages, uh, individual hostages to leave. But I don't think there's going to be a general ceasefire. Speaking in the same interview, Israel's Prime Minister also said he sees a role for Israel to eventually manage security in Gaza, something that's at odds with previous statements from those in the government. Uh, I think Israel will, for uh, uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. Benjamin Netanyahu's comments come one month after Hamas's attack on Israel, which killed 1,400 people in the largest loss of Jewish life since the Holocaust. In corporate news, the once high-flying shared office startup WeWork has filed for bankruptcy. The co-working firm listed nearly $19 billion of debts and will be able to keep operating whilst it works out a plan to repay that. Once valued at $47 billion, WeWork first ran into major trouble in 2019 when the founder and then CEO Adam Newman was forced to quit over allegations of excessive spending, conflicts of interest and a failed IP 
IPO. Reacting to the bankruptcy news, Newman said that the firm has, quote, failed to take advantage of a product that is more relevant today than ever. Here in the UK, King Charles opens Parliament later. The ceremony is a key chance for the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak to set out his government's priorities in the final year before an election. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts has more. Behind the pageantry, there is plenty of politics at play. Rishi Sunak is some 20 points down in most opinion polls, with an election likely just a year away. Today's King's speech setting out the government's legislative agenda will see measures on crime, energy and housing as the Prime Minister seeks to define his pitch to the electorate. On energy, the government wants to deregulate North Sea oil and gas extraction to reduce dependence on hostile states, a move which adds a clear dividing line with Labour, but also controversy with Green Groups. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Radio. More UK news. The Bank of England's chief economist, Hugh Pill, says that inflation here will soon fall in line with the rest of the world. Britain has been an outlier with a faster pace of price rises than most of the G7. Markets are speculating about rate cuts next year as the central bank has forecast economic growth stalling until 2025. Bloomberg Economics says that the UK is probably already in a recession. Sources tell Bloomberg SpaceX is on track to book revenues of about $9 billion this year across its rocket launch and Starlink businesses. The story now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Sales are projected to rise to around $15 billion in 2024. According to the sources, sales for Starlink in particular are expected to outpace and exceed the launch business next year as the product becomes available in more regions around the world. The sources say Starlink will then represent the majority of SpaceX revenue. The numbers represent a rare look into the finances of the Elon Musk-led company, which sells commercial space on its reusable rockets as well as internet beamed down from a constellation of satellites. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. Now, it's a month since the Hamas attack on Israel in which 1,400 people were killed. The war between Israel and Hamas has claimed another 10,000 lives in Gaza, according to the Hamas-run health ministry there as well. This morning, we're bringing you some special reporting from inside Gaza. We know electricity supplies there have been cut. There are severe shortages of food and water. Little aid has gotten in from the outside and few people have been able to get out since the 7th of October. Our reporter, Faris Akram, has been in regular contact with people throughout the Gaza Strip. He told me what the situation is like there now, according to those he's been speaking to. The situation is going from bad to worse. This is what the people tell me. The electricity has been cut. Now people not only find electricity, but they hardly keep their mobile phones with some sort of battery. They give their mobile phones to anybody who has like a solar panel in order to charge their mobile phones. They are struggling to get water. Many people are thirsty in Gaza because they can't find drinking water and they have to uh, use uh, the unsafe, the saline and contaminated water. Life is getting hard. In uh, Rafah town in the south of Gaza Strip, Uh, people are struggling to get bread. A friend of mine told me I have been looking for two kilograms of flour to make bread and I can't uh, find in the whole city. Let alone the fears and and horror from the unexpected airstrikes where all your calculations 
go wrong when you are trying to go for safety. You don't know where the bombs fall. You don't know what's the next target. You don't know where the Israeli army is going to strike. And people are also afraid about their future, their health, their well-being. And they are scared and terrified by the loss of people they know. Are you still in contact with anyone in the north of Gaza, in the Gaza City area? What have they told you about the situation there? Communicating with people in those areas is especially hard because the internet services are disrupted and the mobile services too. But from time to time, I managed to get in contact with a friend of mine who is sheltering with his family at Al-Shifa Hospital. He says every day the situation is going from bad to, to worse. I ask him how. He says, at the beginning, uh, I used to charge my mobile phone uh, on a daily basis. Now I stay for hours and for days sometimes with my mobile out of service because the battery has died. And more important there is that there is no way to escape. He had already escaped his home and was taking shelter at Al-Shifa Hospital. Now Israel is striking around the hospital and they want the people to leave the hospital, but they don't know where to go. There are no vehicles, no cars, and it's getting scary every hour. Even How are people feeling that you speak to? I imagine they're frightened by what's happening. Are they angry? It's mixed feelings of fear and anger fear because they expect they will die. Some people told me we keep our clothes on, especially women. They said that we keep our headscarves on. So in case uh, the house gets struck, we will be covered already when rescuers uh, come. Some people wrote their names on their body parts, on their arms or legs, so they can be identified once they are rescued from the rubble of the house that they are sheltering in gets struck. And they are also afraid of future illnesses because they eat unhealthy food because there is no fresh food, no produce. So they eat canned food and they drink unsafe water. They are also sad by the loss of some family members Everybody in Gaza has suffered from this war. Some people lost close family members. Many people get their houses destroyed or damaged. As we know, almost half of Gaza Strip's houses were either destroyed or damaged. Given the scale of destruction, people don't think Gaza will be inhabitable if the blockade remains in place when and after the war is over. And they are also afraid about uh, plans to transfer the population to Sinai in Egypt and repeat the suffering and exodus uh, experienced and suffered by their ancestors. Do people have any hope as to how this may end? As far as I can tell from speaking to people, every day the hope they had is dwindling. When you talk about people being angry, is that anger at Israel alone, do people speak openly and are they openly critical of Hamas as well? Uh, people uh, blame Israel and they blame Hamas uh, too. 
But uh, for them, now it's not the time to speak about who to blame. They usually speak out after the end of the war. Now what they speak of and what they are thinking of is how to survive, how to stay alive, how to escape, how to make the calculations. I won't say which area of the strip is safe or not, but I would say which part of the house is safer than the other. Do we have to shelter in the kitchen or in the living room? Do we have to stay in the stairway or uh, just outside the house to spare ourselves the rubble if the house collapses? These are the questions people are thinking about. They are too preoccupied with their struggle to survive. But when the war is over, it will be time to speak of blame and responsibility. And from previous rounds of wars, people blamed Israel and some people also whispered their blame of Hamas for risking the lives of people in Gaza or for not taking enough measures to ensure the protection of the population, for not warning the population in advance and for uh, firing, firing rockets sometimes without a reason. That's our reporter, Faris Akram, a long-time correspondent in Gaza, now based in Canada, but bringing us his reporting for people he's been speaking to uh, in the Palestinian Territory. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, Israel's military has said that it has exchanged fire with Hamas and Hezbollah after Israeli forces have advanced to encircle Gaza City. Also, you heard the Israeli prime minister saying that he sees a role for Israel in managing security in Gaza after the fighting has ended. Joining us now is our EMEA news director, Rosalind Matheson, to discuss this. Roz, it is a month since the Hamas attack in Israel. The fighting is taking a significant turn. What do we know of the situation with the Israeli military operation now? Well, very much one month in, there's no sign that the conflict is slowing down. So, as you were saying earlier, the Israeli forces have encircled Gaza City in the north. That's the biggest uh, population centre in the north of Gaza, and they're effectively working to sever um, the north from the south um, and and concentrate their efforts in their fighting in the northern regions and push uh, people further into the south. Um, And we know the aerial bombardments are continuing. We know they're targeting uh, the upper echelons of Hamas's machinery. They said that they've been taking out a number of commanders in recent days. But of course, uh, Hamas is a many-headed hydra. And so you uh, can take out one commander, but there are plenty to take their place. And so it's an ongoing effort uh, from their perspective to try and 
uh, ensure that Hamas is completely decimated. And it's very clear from the comments being made by officials now, including the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, that this fight is going to go on, uh, if not for weeks, then, then possibly uh, even for months, because it's going to be an extensive and slow process for them once they get into Gaza City proper uh, to go door to door, essentially, uh, in the fighting to try and clear Hamas out. Indeed, the, the Israeli Prime Minister in that interview with ABC talking about Israel being present on the ground in Gaza for an indefinite period, about Israel having a role in uh, providing security in Gaza. How significant is it to hear the Israeli leader make comments like that? Well, they've been saying from the outset that the military operation itself could take weeks, months or possibly even longer. But what they've also been saying from the outset, as soon as they feel that they've achieved their goals with Hamas, they said they don't see a long-term presence for Israel in in Gaza itself. So the comments by the Israeli Prime Minister overnight about Israel being present on the ground in Gaza after the war for an indefinite period is certainly raising eyebrows because what does that mean? Does that mean a military presence that stays there? Uh, does it turn into some kind of broader international peacekeeping process or is he talking about a political uh, uh, something in, invo- involving a political occupation of sorts um, and having uh, Israel stay there longer? It's very unclear what he meant uh, by that, but certainly it's raising eyebrows this morning. Mm. And so in terms of, you know, the US calling for humanitarian pauses and Benjamin Netanyahu saying that maybe that they are open to tactical little pauses, he talked about maybe an hour here or an hour there. Um, Is it too much to read into that, that the two sides might be coming a little bit closer together in terms of the idea of pausing the, the fighting? Well, as you were saying, they're talking about tactical little pauses, which is, you know, an hour here or an hour there. And it's really hard to see uh, what a break like that in the fighting can achieve. Is it designed to allow people a safe passage to move further from the north into the south of Gaza? We know that um, there's lots of people who have been unable to do that so far. Are we talking about a pause to allow more people to leave Gaza entirely through the rougher crossing with Egypt? Are we talking about pauses to allow humanitarian aid to get in? But a matter of hours won't achieve very much necessarily in any of those endeavours, including getting aid into Gaza and then further into the Strip than just beyond that crossing area itself. And we know the efforts so far to have a a pause of of several hours um, has been unsuccessful. And so those things are very, very difficult to achieve, to agree and to sustain, let alone moving towards a broader ceasefire. Roz, the the death toll continues to rise, of course, as as this fighting goes on. What about the risks of a, a worse scenario of a wider regional war? Is that still a present risk? It's certainly a risk and a concern, um, not just for countries in the region, but for uh, big powers globally, including the US, which is is very concerned about that possibility and keeping those conversations going in the region as a result and being public about saying they've got a very open door to Iran at the moment uh, to try and avoid Iran being pulled further in. We know that there are daily strikes uh, and tit-for-tat fire between Israel and Hezbollah uh, coming from Lebanon into the north of Israel, for example. But what we are seeing so far is that being relatively contained. So those that pick up and attacks that we're seeing on US soldiers based in Syria and Iraq, uh, the Hezbollah attacks, they are going on, but they're relatively measured 
for now. Uh, what we do know, of course, is the Hezbollah chief is, I think, due to give another speech later this week. It'd be interesting to see his rhetoric and whether it changes from what he said uh, a couple of days ago about that prospect. Because certainly, you know, Iran and other countries are still warning uh, that if needed, they feel they'll have to step in further. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.